Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 84, recorded here on October 1st, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only, not investing advice. Always do your own homework. All right. Uh, before I jump in, just wanted to mention uh, the Bitcoin conference in LA is coming up this week, uh, Thursday, Friday. So I plan to go, and uh, it should be should be good. A lot of good speakers there. I enjoyed it last year, so looking forward to that. Uh, and um, other than that, we can jump right in. We got the market update outlook and then uh, the weekly news. Not a lot of stuff on the news front, but a few things to talk about anyway. And so with that, we'll jump right in. S&P 500 wrapped up a fourth straight week of losses and a nearly 5% decline for September. The worst monthly performance since December as investors come to grips with the Federal Reserve's message for of higher for longer interest rates. Surging crude oil prices, along with fears of increased supply of government debt, help propel bond yields with the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield reaching near 16-year highs during the week. Two of the three major stock market indexes posted modest declines for the week with the Dow Jones down 1.3%. And the S&P slipping 0.7%, while the NASDAQ composite eked out a 0.1% gain. Looking ahead, during the middle of the week, next week, OPEC Plus will meet, although there are no major changes to the oil output policy anticipated, tighter supply and rising demand continue to drive a rally in oil prices. The earnings calendar is light with only Tilray brands and Constellation brands standing out as potential sector rattling updates. However, the event calendar is loaded with Molson Coors, Google, Samsung, and Zoom Video all on the marquee. Meanwhile, the auto sector will be riveted by deliveries reports from Tesla, Rivian, Automotive, and NEO, as well as the latest drama with the UAW strike against General Motors, Ford Motor, and Stellantis. All right, jumping into the Bitcoin news. First article here is uh, from Bitcoinist.com. This article, uh, I believe, was posted today. And it's entitled, SEC Files Lawsuit Against FTX Auditor. So uh, picked up a couple articles on FTX. This is the first one I thought was kind of interesting. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has filed a lawsuit against Prager Metis, an accounting firm that had dealings with the bankrupt FTX crypto exchange. This development comes as the trial of FTX co-founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried looms on the horizon. In a statement published on September 29th, the SEC alleges that Prager Metis has violated hundreds of auditor independence regulations as well as assisting its various clients in violations of the U.S. securities laws. The plaintiff states that between December 2017 and October 2020, Prager unethically included indemnification clauses in its engagement letters for over 200 audits, reviews, and examinations comprising 
compromising its independence regarding those agreements. For context, indemnification clauses serve as provisions in an engagement letter, a letter of contracts and agreements which outline a compensation or protection arrangement for the auditing firm in case of certain losses or events. The SEC believes that by including such clauses in their agreements with their clients, the FTX former auditor created a conflict of interest that compromised their independence, which is a violation of U.S. federal securities law. Commenting on this lawsuit, Eric I. Bustillo, head of the SEC regional office in Miami, said, Auditor independence is critical to both protecting the integrity of financial reporting and promoting public trust. As alleged in our complaint over a period of nearly three years, Prager's audits, reviews, and exams fell short of these fundamental principles. Our complaint is an important reminder that auditor independence is crucial to investor protection. Furthermore, the U.S. securities market regulator stated that Prager Metis, having allegedly compromised its independence, signed off on various accounting reports of its clients, some of which were used in filings with the commission. In addition, the SEC's complaint against the auditor also included the audit firm's failure to inform its clients of its security law violations, even after being informed by the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. It's worth noting that there was no mention of FTX or any other clients of Prager Metis in the SEC lawsuit. However, this legal action by the commission draws much attention from the crypto space due to the relationship between the bankrupt exchange and the accounting firm. A previous class action lawsuit alleged that Prager Metis, along with Ar- Armanimo, another audit firm, was involved in the fraud-related crimes of Sam Bankman-Fried. Plaintiffs stated that by approving the finances of the FTX Group Enterprise, both audit firms aided and abetted the former CEO's use of FTX's customer assets in funding proprietary investments. And by the way, I've been in public accounting for or accounting industry for 30 years, and I've never heard of these firms before. So that ought to tell you something uh, that these crypto exchanges like to go for the uh, unknowns because uh, maybe they'll see things their way. Uh, SPF trial approaches. In other news, uh, the court trial of Sam Bankman-Fried is set to begin on October 4th, so that'll be next week, following the jury selection scheduled for October 3rd. The trial is expected to last for six weeks, with 15 trial dates set for October and six set for November. The former FTX boss is accused of seven counts of fraud, including wire fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, etc., found guilty Some of these charges could result in a maximum of 20 years in prison. Staying on the FTX theme, this uh, article is from Coindesk. This was uh, posted on September 28th, updated on September 29th. Articles entitled, Judge Denies Temporary Release for Sam Bankman-Fried suggests he could face a, quote, very long sentence. Sam Bankman-Fried will have to remain in jail for the duration of his trial, a federal judge ruled on Thursday, saying that the former FTX founder has had enough time to review material in preparation for the trial. But Judge Lewis Kaplan ruled Bankman-Fried will be made available to his attorneys at 7 a.m. Eastern Time every trial day with a caveat so they can discuss any issues before testimony begins. Bankman-Fried's attorneys already lost two bids to have their client released from jail ahead of trial. 
They still tried again this week, arguing they would have no opportunities to confer with the former FTX executive after the end of a trial day. They also offered a strict set of limitations that Bankman-Fried would agree to, including around-the-clock supervision and zero access to computers, phones, or other electronics. Prosecutors pushed back in a filing yesterday saying Bankman-Fried and his lawyers had not met the burden of proof showing a temporary release was, quote, necessary. Moreover, they said the proposed plan to have a guard watching over Bankman-Fried may not meet the legal requirements for a temporary release. Cohen, the lead lawyer representing Bankman-Fried, said that he would have almost no time with the former FTX CEO to speak with him before the trial, and that now is the appropriate time to ask for a release. I'm not really entirely persuaded by the argument defense attorney Mark Cohen makes, Judge Kaplan, who is overseeing the trial, said. They're not going in cold here. Attorneys for Bankman-Fried and the government were all smiles before Thursday's hearing began, chatting amicably with one another as they waited for Judge Kaplan to enter a courtroom on the 21st floor of the Southern District of New York Courthouse in New York's Financial District. Bankman-Fried, meanwhile, sat the hearing out from behind bars at Brooklyn's Metropolitan Detention Center, which his lawyers have previously deplored for its dietary standards and poor conditions. Once Kaplan, a no-nonsense jurist who has overseen cases involving a former president and terrorists, entered from a door at the front of the courtroom and brought the hearing into session, the friendly rapport between opposing counsel took a pause. Following brief introductory remarks from Kaplan, Cohen stepped up to a lectern and argued his client should be released from prison for the duration of his trial. It didn't take long for Kaplan, who has denied similar requests in the past, to make clear that he wasn't convinced things were so different this time around. When Cohen noted that Bankman-Fried does not pre present a flight risk, Kaplan interjected that he was skeptical. I've wondered about that, the judge told Bankman-Fried's lawyer. Your client could be looking at a very long sentence, he said, adding that Bankman-Fried is still relatively young at just 31 years old. If things look bleak, if he has that opportunity, maybe he would seek to flee. As to Cohen's argument that Bankman-Fried's case is complex, meaning he deserves ample time outside of prison to strategize, Kaplan again demurred. Once, while the FTX case involved subjects that lay to, to the lay world are pretty arcane, like cryptocurrency and finance, said Kaplan, the issues in this case are pretty straightforward. Was there fraud or wasn't there? Assistant U.S. Attorney Danielle Kudla, in her remarks to Kaplan, said Bankman-Fried has had ample opportunity to prepare for trial. In addition to the option for daily meetings with his lawyers, Bankman-Fried's bail wasn't revoked until July, meaning he had more than seven months to review evidence from the comfort of his Palo Alto, California home. Though Kaplan ultimately denied Bankman-Fried's petition for release from prison, he said he was committed to a fair trial and did make some accommodations for the disgraced crypto founder. Specifically, Kaplan said he would order Brooklyn's Metropolitan Detention Center to produce Bankman-Fried for his lawyers at 7 a.m. on days containing or following witness testimony. So that should be uh, fun to watch next week. And uh, we'll see if he gets some jail time out of this or if he gets somehow is able to wriggle his way free. Uh, hopefully he gets to spend a lot of time behind bars because uh, he certainly seems to have done a lot of bad things. Uh, moving forward, 
Uh, next article is from Blockworks. Um, and this is, uh, let's see, this was updated on September 29th. Articles entitled BlockFi to move forward with Chapter 11 plan. BlockFi's Chapter 11 plan received approval earlier this week, supported by both the company's management and the Committee of Unsecured Creditors. According to a blog post, the plan got 90% approval across all voting classes. The former crypto lender filed for bankruptcy in late 2022 following the collapse of FTX. It followed in the footsteps of bankrupt lenders Voyager and Celsius. BlockFi will continue to seek recoveries from the Three Arrows Capital and FTX bankruptcies as part of the plan, which would then increase recoveries for customers. As BlockWorks previously reported, BlockFi is also fighting claims from both FTX and 3AC, which both seek to recover funds. The company alleged, however, that it fell victim to the former crypto exchange. Additionally, back in early September, FTX objected to BlockFi's bankruptcy plan, alleging that it still suffers from certain fundamental shortcomings. The plan will ensure that digital assets are distributed to customers, including BlockFi interest account holders. Regarding the interest account specifically, the blog post said that the company expects that this will be the first wave of distributions, which will be followed by additional distributions. BlockFi is still working to distribute funds to clients with assets in the BlockFi wallet product, it said. After the plan goes into effect, BlockFi will exit bankruptcy and then start winding down the business. However, the timing is still uncertain due to being dependent on a few factors, including the Bermuda Court, which regulates our international clients, recognizing the U.S. Bankruptcy Court's approval of the plan. Okay, next we have, this is from Bitcoin.com, um, and uh, this was uh, posted yesterday. Robert Kiyosaki expects Bitcoin to, quote, become priceless when the Fed launches central bank digital currency. Uh, it says here, Kiyosaki explained in a post on social media platform X on Friday that the Federal Reserve's central bank digital currency is coming. And when that happens, privacy will be gone. Big Brother will be watching, he cautioned, adding that when the digital dollar launches, gold, silver, Bitcoin, and cash will become priceless. He proceeded to urge investors to start saving gold, silver, Bitcoin, and cash now before it's too late. The renowned author is not the only one who is concerned about the Federal Reserve launching a central bank digital currency. Last week, the United States House Committee on Financial Services passed the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act with the support of 60 Congress members. This bill is simple. It halts the efforts of the administrative state under President Biden from issuing a financial surveillance tool that will undermine the American way of life, explained Congressman Tom Emmer, who introduced the bill. In March, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz similarly introduced legislation to prohibit the Fed from developing a direct-to-consumer CBDC. However, the Fed is a long way from issuing a CBDC. In September last year, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell stressed that the central bank has not reached a decision on whether to issue a digital dollar. Quote, we have not decided to proceed and we don't see ourselves making that decision for some time, he noted. We see this as a process of at least a couple of years where we are doing work and building public confidence in our analysis and our ultimate conclusion. 
but it certainly makes sense to have some Bitcoin uh, in cold storage uh, just in case. Next up is from, this is also from Bitcoin.com. This was posted uh, three days ago. Um, articles entitled Economist Peter Schiff warns of biggest bond market crash and unprecedented financial crisis. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Peter Schiff because he's always bashing on Bitcoin and doesn't really seem to understand it. He's a pretty good economist and he's got some pretty good takes on the macro picture. So, um, you know, a guy worth listening to, at least for that. Economist and gold bug Peter Schiff issued more warnings about the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar in multiple posts on social media platform X over the past few days. He wrote on Wednesday, We are still early in what will become the biggest bond market crash in U.S. history. Given that the U.S. economy is more levered now than at any time in history, governments, corporations, and individuals the coming economic and financial crisis will be unprecedented in size. The financial crisis we're about to experience will be much worse than anything that happened in 2008, yet Wall Street and the Fed are even more clueless now than they were then, he opined. On Tuesday, the economist detailed, it looks like the bond market is crashing in slow motion, and the yield curve will finally normalize after 15 years of artificially low interest rates. He emphasized, this will be catastrophic for the U.S., which has built an entire economy and government on a foundation of cheap money. In another post, he predicted, Eventually, higher bond yields will bankrupt the federal government and many state and local governments, as well as almost every bank in the country, explode federal budget deficits, causing a depression and a financial crisis. Moreover, Schiff cautioned, if stock market investors think it's bad now, wait until they see what happens when the dollar starts falling with bonds and gold starts rising with oil. He warned, the stagflation nightmare will soon be a full-blown reality. Very few investors are actually prepared for this outcome. Last week, Schiff warned of a tragic ending and the collapse of the U.S. dollar. He also recently urged investors to get out of the U.S. dollar, noting that a full-blown financial crisis will hit the U.S. economy before the Federal Reserve reaches its inflation target. The Economist also cautioned on Monday, anyone moving from stocks into money markets because they prefer to earn 5% risk-free is mistaken. He explained that inflation is a real risk, emphasizing while dollars in a money market fund may not be lost, they're likely to lose 10 to 20% of their purchasing power every year until the end of the decade or longer. Schiff additionally noted that 10-year U.S. Treasury has not yielded 5% since 2001. Highlighting that back then, the U.S. national debt was below $6 trillion, but it has now exceeded $33 trillion. He stressed when the yield hits 5% again later this year, the financial burden imposed on the government and the economy now will be far greater. Now, he's not wrong about that. Only thing about holding some cash, though, is at least it gives you some optionality. It's almost like you know you're losing money, you know, uh, you're not keeping up with inflation, but... Um, you know, it's good to have a little bit of cash anyway. I guess the best kind of cash is physical cash. Put it in the couch or this mattress. All right, next up, this is also from Bitcoin.com. This is uh, posted uh, yesterday 
Articles entitled, Former U.S. President Donald Trump May Change Crypto Stance Dramatically, says ex-SEC official. Former U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission official John Reed Stark has argued that former President Donald Trump could dramatically change his position on cryptocurrencies. Stark is currently president of cybersecurity firm John Reed Stark Consulting. He founded and served as chief of the SEC Office of Internet Enforcement for 11 years. He was also an SEC enforcement attorney for 15 years. Trump is running for president in 2024. Former President Trump is on record as being strongly anti-Bitcoin and anti-crypto, Stark wrote on social media platform X Wednesday. However, the former SEC official argued crypto voters might be one-issue voters and are powerful and passionate constituencies, so perhaps former President Trump will change his crypto tune dramatically. Citing multiple media reports, he also noted that Trump now owns some cryptocurrency, The former U.S. president reportedly disclosed crypto holdings of $2.8 million in Ether in August after debuting a non-fungible token collection last year. In 2019, Trump stated that he is not a fan of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, emphasizing that they're not money. He further said they are based on thin air, adding that unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior, including drug trade and other illegal activity. Moreover, he said in 2021 that crypto is very dangerous. The former SEC Internet Enforcement Chief concluded on Wednesday, under any circumstance, it seems likely that if a Republican is elected U.S. president, a Republican-appointed SEC chair would in the least approve a Bitcoin spot ETF and may even slow down considerably SEC crypto-related enforcement efforts. Last month, Stark highlighted a number of potential changes that could benefit the crypto industry. They included a Republican president being elected, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler resigning, and crypto mom Hester Pierce being appointed as the acting SEC chair. So uh, we'll see. I mean, politicians all want to be elected, and a lot of the politicians uh, that are running, well, a few of them that are running for president on the Republican ticket are uh, pretty pro-Bitcoin. Uh, or at least pro, you know, not anti-Bitcoin, I guess. Uh, But they're certainly courting that demographic, uh, and who knows what will happen after they get elected. But, uh, you know, we shall see. Next up is, this is from Decrypt. This is uh, posted on September 28th. Fortress CEO responds to Ripple backing out of acquisition. Ripple has confirmed that it no longer plans to acquire financial technology firm and crypto custodian Fortress Trust less than a month after claiming that it would do so. So no surprise here. Uh, You know, a lot of people were surprised when they did step in. uh, And, you know, there was certainly speculation that once they did their due diligence that they might not want to go through with it. We've since made the decision not to move forward with an outright acquisition, though Ripple will remain an investor in Fortress, said Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse over X on Thursday. Garlinghouse maintained that Fortress has a strong team behind it, building helpful products. While this outcome is different from what was originally planned, we'll continue to support them and hope to work together in the future, he added. In early July, Fortress CEO Scott Purcell was bullish on the deal, saying Ripple was by far the best partner for us and our customers. However, an internal disagreement over business priorities for Ripple caused it to hold off on acquiring Purcell's firm. 
They are really just focused on pure B2B and institutional global business, Purcell told Decrypt on Thursday. We were a way for them to diversify into B2B2C. Many of their team were super excited about our tech and customer base, but others pushed back to stay the current course, he explained. Purcell clarified that Fortress was aware of Ripple's change of heart prior to the announcement and that both companies maintain a strong relationship with future plans together, just not merging. No customers are affected. This has nothing to do with our customers, he added. Ripple first revealed its acquisition plans in early September after a security incident with one of Fortress's partners gave hackers access to a handful of the crypto custodian's customer accounts. Fortress immediately covered losses for most affected customers at the time and was able to fully cover one particularly large client thanks to Ripple's help. Though the incident accelerated Ripple's plans, Fortress had been in talks for a potential acquisition for months with multiple partners, including Ripple and BitGo. A Ripple spokesperson told Decrypt at the time that Fortress was seeking partners to help grow its payments business, Fortress Pay. This opportunity makes sense for Ripple in the long term, they said. After the deal was canceled, the same spokesperson for Ripple declined to provide further comment. So we'll see what happens to Fortress next. Uh, they are a, quote, qualified custodian. And uh, we all know by now that uh, custodians are security holes and uh, there's risks and trade-offs, counterparty risks and all that. So if you hold your own keys and hold your own coins, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But for institutional uh, investors and large funds and all that, they unfortunately have to go down that path. So maybe someday they'll figure out the qualified custodian thing. But for hodlers like us, we don't need to worry about that. Next is from Cointelegraph. This was posted on September 28th. And this article is entitled SEC Delays Spot Bitcoin ETF Decision for BlackRock, Invesco, and Bitwise. So again, not shocking. Nobody's expecting them to, they're going to wait till the last possible minute to approve any of these things. Um, this is kind of interesting because of the impending government shutdown, I guess they uh, pushed it out early. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has delayed its decision on several proposals for spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds, including BlackRock ahead of anticipated government shutdown. The spot Bitcoin ETF applications of Invesco, Bitwise, and Valkyrie were also delayed by the SEC, according to separate September 28th filings, while Bloomberg ETF analyst James Safart is expecting the applications from Fidelity, Van Eck, and WisdomTree to also be pushed back by the securities regulator. The latest delays came two weeks earlier than the scheduled second deadline date for many applicants who had been expecting to hear from the securities regulator by October 16th to 19th. Seifert said that the timing of the delays is related to the expected U.S. government shutdown, potentially taking place on October 1st, which will disrupt the country's financial regulators and other federal agencies. Both chambers of Congress, the House and the Senate, haven't agreed on various funding bills to finance government operations, and Congress needs to pass 12 separate full-year funding bills by October 1st to avoid a shutdown. And as it turns out, as we said here today, they uh, were able to pass a 45-day stopgap measure, so they kicked the can for another month and a half. 
and I guess they'll be dealing with it again November 15th. The SEC delayed a bundle of spot Bitcoin ETF applications in late August when the first deadline was approaching. Meanwhile, the third set of deadlines for the seven firms is around mid-January, and they could also be delayed. The SEC will have to make a final decision by mid-March at the very latest. Well, wouldn't that be special? Because that is right around the time of the Bitcoin halving. So <laughs> uh, that could be really interesting. In late August, Bloomberg ETF analyst Eric Balkunas estimated that the probability of a spot Bitcoin ETF being approved by the end of 2023 had increased to 75% from an earlier 65%. He cited the unanimity and decisiveness at which the U.S. Court of Appeals Circuit had reached its decision in Grayscale's court win over SEC as the main reason behind the odds increasing. Balkunas further raised the, those odds to 95% by the end of 2024. Well, if I was going to bet on it, I'd say it's, they're going to wait to the last minute, and it's going to be probably March of next year. But uh, who knows? I could be wrong. Uh, and then the last article, uh, kind of interesting one from Bitcoin. Uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine. This was posted on September 27th. The future of energy, Bitcoin mining. Um, if energy is so important to any and every economy, why is it so aggressively avoided in research and discussion? Going further, why such heavy over-politicization and division in the industry? Discard the tribalism and energy, nothing more than noise. It's nonsensical down to its very core. We need as much energy being generated as possible in a way that doesn't break an economy and that can allow us to keep the wheels of society turning. How do we achieve such a lofty goal? Direct monetization of energy generation. One issue, demand for power is volatile does not remain consistent throughout the day, let alone throughout the year. This volatility also bleeds into the varying forms of energy for economies that experience seasonal climate volatility or may be restricted in access to diverse sources. Is there a way for us to smooth out this demand volatility so that energy producers can maintain a consistent run rate while still being capable of providing reliable power to societal fluctuations? The answer is yes. This is achievable through Bitcoin mining. We can use Bitcoin mining to squelch the fraternal squabbles between all of the energy generators. All are free to compete for hash rate and seek that fabled next Bitcoin subsidy distribution. So as long as they agree to redirect power to the grid in society's moments of need, which has been shown to be effective in multiple events and scenarios on Texas's ERCOT system, as well as in Georgia, the greater the power generating capacity of the operation, the more they can afford to give society what it needs and still be capable of capturing revenue via Bitcoin mining. The best part is that Bitcoin doesn't care where the energy is coming from or being sourced. It wants it all. We can now justify the rapid expansion of energy generation and distribution infrastructure by providing perpetual and highly competitive demand for that energy. Demand that is both buyer of first resort and last. This demand can be sourced through the cheapest energy resources or through expanding current operations uh, to provide greater output and maximize efficiency. All strategies are viable with this approach. Providing a responsive demand to the grid that can smooth out total demand curve is revolutionary. 
A well-balanced system would have overall demand looking as consistent and flat as that line representing nuclear power supply above. And there's a chart in the piece, so I'll post uh, the link and you can check it out later in the show notes. But when you have natural demand ebbing and flowing, you need a flexible demand source that can fill in the gap between. You need a load that can shut off when societal demand surpasses forecasts, but provides such a benefit through both operational improvements and revenues that their product is readily sought after when circumstantial demands are satisfied, that they can be brought back online as soon as possible. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the Bitcoin miners down in ERCOT and Georgia are doing. They are filling the gaps. This is what is also uh, what this is also doing is providing an incentive for energy generators to produce as much as possible, meaning there is now a justification to build out operations that are capable of producing far more energy than is required now, but can be of use in the future. What happens to demand when the supply of electrons does not make production of the commodity easier, or such an asset only continues to gobble up as much energy as thrown at it, not like gold, not like oil? These are two commodities that result in natural market forces bringing an end to high prices by justifying increased production during high prices and decreased production during low prices. That is the beauty of the difficulty adjustment in Bitcoin mining. When more power gets dedicated to the network and blocks begin to get completed too rapidly, the network ratchets up the difficulty and vice versa when blocks are coming in too slowly. There's no overproduction and oversaturation of supply due to high prices. Meanwhile, mining pools allow for Bitcoin miners to work together to earn the Bitcoin subsidy. When such an outcome occurs, the mining pool distributes earnings to the pool participants according to how much effort was dedicated as a percentage of the pool total, a fair, collaborative system, resulting in a more consistent stream of income than if these miners were working alone. All energy generators stand to benefit from deploying data centers full of ASIC miners to take advantage of the perpetual demand afforded the Bitcoin mining network. Furthermore, the highly competitive industry is providing visceral demand for improvements in chip efficiency, as well as the sourcing of not only the cheapest energy, but the most abundant capacity that is not being effectively utilized, which is why energy producers and utilities are doing just that, using Bitcoin mining to maximize efficiencies and improve operations while earning an extra line of revenue. The very foundations of energy are being retooled. The tribalism within energy will die away as all producers aim their sights at the great orange future cresting over the horizon, and they're all positioned to make a lot of money for it. Uh, so really nice piece, and again, something I've probably talked about before. Uh, I really see Bitcoin mining and energy uh, production uh, and uh, energy generation has been very complementary, and uh, we should not be looking to any particular source of energy. We should be looking to grow all sources of energy, and uh, and Bitcoin mining, by golly, it's a great use of of energy, and uh, it can also help monetize uh, energy production. And then last, I wanted to highlight this week's uh, Substack post. Uh, it's entitled, Implementing Bitcoin Native Adversarial Thinking for a Resilient Life, the Antidote to Clown World. So I'll include a link in the show notes. 
this was I just posted that one actually uh, yesterday, but uh, I do actually do two posts a week now, one on Wednesday, one on on Saturday usually. So uh, if you don't already subscribe, please check it out. Uh, it's free. And that will wrap it up for this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Uh, you should also, if you're not listening to it on Fountain, you should because you can earn sats for listening to your favorite podcast there. Um, you can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and you can follow me on Noster. My uh, NPub is included in the show notes, um, not on any other social media. I've turned my back on X. Um, and I like Noster. It's a good community, uh, high signal, um, lots of good information there. And, and, you know, if you don't like somebody, you just don't follow them. You know, it's that simple. Freedom and liberty. All right, that's it. I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.